reported the Justice Department released part of the reasoning behind this month's FBI search of Mar-a-Lago. John Yang has a closer look now at what the redacted affidavit does and doesn't reveal about the investigation. Amna, the 32-page document contains some new details about what triggered the FBI search. The National Archives had been asking President uh, Trump about missing presidential papers since May 2021, just four months after he left office. Among the papers he returned in January, 184 classified documents, loose and mixed in with other papers. But there were also plenty of pages like, like this, 11 pages entirely blacked out, 13 others partly blacked out. Joined again by attorney Mark Zaid, who focuses on national security issues. Uh, Mark, we talked last night before this release. As you read the redacted version of this affidavit today, what was the most significant information to you? Well, one thing I agree, this was what we expected it to look like, which is unusual because we never pre-indictment get these types of documents. But what jumped out uh, to me as the most important were the designations of some of the markings that had not previously been stated. We knew from the receipt of property documents that were seized by the FBI that what was what was called SCI, sensitive compartmented information. We usually hear that with TSSCI, top secret uh, information. But we received information about additional uh, what we call SAP special access programs and type of designations. Special Intelligence, or SI, Human, or Human uh, Control System, HCS. This is Human Intelligence, FISA, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, uh, documents or, or information that came as a result of a warrant authorized by the special FISA court. This is some of the most sensitive information that exists in the U.S. government, and I dare say could even potentially put lives at risk. As you read this document, do you think that there's uh, any indication that this is headed toward a criminal prosecution, uh, whether of, uh, of, of Trump or someone else, or are they just satisfied to get these documents secured again? Well, the first thing is, as part of the documents that were filed by the Justice Department, along with releasing the affidavit, was an indication that they are still in their infancy of investigating what took place especially in the aftermath. Look, if this were just about, let's say if we went back a few months and this was only about receiving and retrieving the documents and there was no allegations of obstruction or possibly lying to federal authorities, I think it would have ended. But because of what led to this affidavit being submitted to the magistrate judge in the first place, actual allegations of obstruction and possible destruction of documents I think we are more likely to look towards possible criminality. Now, who that applies to is completely still unclear. There's nothing in what we received today that would indicate that President Trump individually is more or less likely to be prosecuted. But I dare say I think someone, we don't know who, uh, is probably a little bit more nervous today. As you, as you and I both mentioned, a lot of pages were blacked out. A lot of things were redacted. Given where they were and sort of what preceded those sections, is there any way to glean what might be behind those black lines? I think it's pretty obvious for a large part of it, it refers to the source of information that the FBI relied on, human sources, informants. 
Now, who that might be, we have no idea. There is no indication to try and figure that out. If it was a Secret Service agent, a staffer, a former White House official, I dare say even a lawyer for Trump who could be fulfilling their ethical duty if they came about information where they knew individuals were lying to the FBI. I think the key trigger is the, are the dates. When in May, when the back and forth with the archives came about, uh, where following the 15 boxes, which had moved, increased from 12 a few months earlier, something new happened that gave the FBI and the Department of Justice evidence to show that what they were being told by the lawyers wasn't true. And that's what led to the seizure of the documents on uh, in August. You talked about the markings on these documents, the, uh, the some of the most sensitive information. What sorts of topics, given your experience, what sorts of topics would have these markings? Uh, and look, I, I get cleared up to these levels rarely, but sometimes in some of my cases. Uh, these are incredibly protected areas. So uh, FISA, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, right? This is the court that authorizes uh, warrants and surveillance of foreign agents and Americans who are potentially spying for foreign powers. Uh, the human information are some are assets, human intelligence, assets that we might have around the world uh, operating to help protect us where their very identity or identifying information could cause their, their, their lives to be lost or their family, depending on where they might be. Now, of course, we do not know, and I don't want to suggest otherwise, that the, the documents that have these markings reveal something that could be devastating, but substantively, but by their markings, that is what it is meant to signify and we may never find out, quite frankly, what, what was in these documents. But at some point in time, if prosecution does move forward, we'll have a better idea, at least based on the documents that they cite to in the indictment. National Security Lawyer Mark Zay, thank you very much. Thank you.
mounting concerns near a Russian-controlled nuclear plant in Ukraine. What authorities are urgently handing out amid fears of radiation leaks. The policing of America, nearly $300 million in COVID relief money stolen. How the Secret Service got it back. And our NBC News exclusive inside NASA's historic Apollo mission control as America prepares to return to the moon. For example, I have in my home 
just want to put this scripture in that will hopefully keep you for a prayer retreat that is not viable outside of the week. Can't the state fix it by just saying, okay, a crania is now one of the conditions that will be an exception? They could add that on, but there's no possible way to make a comprehensive list of exceptions. Yeah, this is calling for a special session to clear up the law. This is not fair to me, and it cannot happen to any other woman. Next week, she says, she's going out of the state for an abortion. Stephanie Goss, NBC News. With the new NFL season around the corner, a rookie on the Buffalo Bills is facing disturbing allegations from his time in college. A civil suit accusing him of taking part in the gang rape of a teen. Miguel Almaguer reports. Two weeks before the start of the NFL season, one of the league's most promising stars faces serious trouble. Buffalo Bills rookie punter Matt Ariza accused of involvement in the gang rape of a 17-year-old girl last year while he attended San Diego State University. According to a new civil lawsuit, Ariza raped a drunk high school senior at an off-campus party before leading her into a room where she was sexually assaulted by multiple teammates. When a young woman gets raped at 17, uh, she is victimized. The teen says she arrived at the Halloween party with friends after drinking. She says after telling Ariza she was in high school, he gave her a drink she not only contained alcohol, but other intoxicating substances. She was raped outside, she says. Then Ariza's teammates took turns assaulting her for an hour and a half. The victim's attorney sharing these photos, saying she went to police the next day and underwent a rape exam. Her father speaking out. I would like to see the people that did this to my daughter held accountable. With San Diego State University, the Buffalo Bills, and the NFL accused of turning a blind eye, all released statements not commenting on specifics. Adamant that he never reported the rapers, and he continues to believe she was lying in order to get money. Today's headlines come as the NFL tries to put a high-profile sexual assault scandal involving another player behind it. But this new civil case could be followed by a criminal case that's now under review. Okay, Miguel Almaguer, thank you. In Ukraine, authorities are taking emergency measures near a Russian-controlled nuclear plant. Iodine tablets, which can help block the absorption of radioactivity, are being handed out to residents. Amid fears that shelling at the facility could trigger a nuclear disaster. It's been exactly one year since a suicide bomber killed 13 U.S. troops at the Kabul airport during a chaotic U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. And as Andrea Mitchell reports, all these months later, at least 160,000 eligible Afghans and their families still haven't gotten out. Searing images of Afghans desperate to escape in the final days of the withdrawal, people clinging to the wheels of a C-17 on the runway at Kabul Airport, then the suicide bombing at the Abbey's Gate, killing 13 U.S. troops, 11 Marines, a soldier, and a sailor. Also dead, 170 Afghan civilians. Thousands of Afghans got out, but tens of thousands more who had worked for the U.S. and their families were left behind under Taliban threat. How did you feel when that last plane left and you hadn't gotten you and your family home? Heartbroken. We're hiding his face because the man the troops called Frank still has relatives back home, where he worked as a military and State Department translator for 12 years, was eligible for a special visa, and had a State Department badge. So when I got to the airport, I showed my passport, I showed my badge, 
exclusive. The Secret Service recovering hundreds of millions in stolen COVID relief money, but the agency warning billions is still missing. Julia Ainsley reports. During the depth of the pandemic lockdowns, there were critical government funds designed to keep small businesses afloat. Money many scammers instead decided to steal. Like with any goodwill, there's some bad actors who take advantage. Tonight, the Secret Service revealing it's recovered $286 million siphoned off from pandemic relief given out by the Small Business Administration. It is probably one of the largest financial crime investigations we've ever taken on. As part of the scheme, agents say scammers open fraudulent accounts at green.bank with fake and stolen personal information. The bank says it is partner with law enforcement to identify and mitigate the fraud. We spoke to Jason Kane, leading the Secret Service's efforts to recover stolen COVID-19 relief funds. It's been estimated that hundreds of billions of dollars have gone out fraudulently. Today you're talking about a $286 million fine. Is that a drop in the bucket? We have several of those that are ongoing. Those will continue to come out over the coming year as we return them back to taxpayers. So do you need more funding from Congress to go after more money? That's a hard question to say right now to say all I need is exactly this amount to go after more. I know if I had more, I could do more. Kane says pandemic relief fraudsters are often overseas in countries where they can evade arrest. Those countries don't always play by the same rules that the United States plays by. But he says the hunt is ongoing. In all, the agency has arrested over 250 people and recovered close to $2.3 billion. Less than That's a lot of money, Julia. Thank you. Up next, NASA's first female launch director, Stephanie McKittrick. Before we go tonight, one more note on Monday's big launch. History will be made when Artemis 1 takes off with NASA's first female launch director at the helm. Here's Krista Dalton. In hindsight, they are telling words. There was one woman in the science. One woman out of 400 plus engineers. A culture dominated by men. Even years later, when Charlie Blackwell Thompson first visited Kennedy Space Center as a college senior. I would love to be in this room one day. Today, she isn't just in the room, but leading it as launch director for Artemis One, a critical step in returning Americans to the moon and beyond. She really is a goddess who runs everything that goes on, the processing and the launch operations. Raised in small town South Carolina, she has taught to dream big. She raised three children as she worked her way up the NASA ranks. And on launch day, it's ultimately her call to utter those much anticipated words. We have a go. For the first time, a female voice. We changed a lot in terms of the makeup of our team. One woman on the team in 1969. Today, we'll have 32 women. She calls it just the start. The next set of boot prints that are left on the moon by our astronauts that belong to a woman and a person of color. There are no boundaries. There are no limits. A woman with a mission to inspire. Kristen Dahlgren, NBC News, Kennedy Space Center. And that's night.
Wrestling News. Thank you for watching. I'm Lester Holt. Please take care of yourself and each other. Thanks for watching our YouTube channel. Follow today's top stories and breaking news by downloading the NBC News app.
entire family tree. Kiki, Kisana, Shaka, Fantasia, I love you. Introduction. Just another inmate, just like everybody else. 